Would you agree with me that new diver, new underwater photographer, I should say? Yeah, they shouldn't try and to be the same. A new diver and a new right, 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 right. right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, I gotta clarify that. A new underwater photographer that's really trying to do under underwater photography the right way by using that infamous M on the top of the camera. Clarity and sharpness of photos is one of uh, one of the struggles. Well, yeah, of, of like I like mean, that, like the the learning curve that 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 separates the the people who are going to stick with it. They're gonna they're gonna take the time to figure that out. Where it's so easy <laughs> for so many people just to buy that DSLR, but not use the advantage of it and just leave it in automatic. Oh yeah, well I see this all the time. But yeah, would I say clarity and and sharpness and there's a bunch of things that I would say are all important. I would think they're they're all equally important when it comes to a, a nice capture, a nice image, right? As something you can be proud of and something you you'd like to look at or put on the wall or I don't know. I I know some people like if you talk to my wife, she thinks I put way too much thought and energy and um time and effort into taking photos right but she loves looking at the photos i'll tell you that much so so do all of the uh soccer head families that i you know i i do it because i love doing it so i've got my my boys doing soccer and i've been this way since they were kids in kindergarten and whatnot i kind of jumped back into it i was into it a little bit in high school but uh, all their events, their school events, the Halloween stuff, uh, you know, everything, all the all the stuff we worked at at the schools, their plays, everything. So I would go and take photos and and I would put it up on my uh, my account online and share it with the parents. And they always appreciate it, I thought anyway. But, yeah, n- there's a lot that goes into it to try to be able to use that camera on on M mode (laughs) but when you go like i'll go to a a soccer game and this is this is kind of funny and this is a key like the person doesn't really know what they're doing but they went and bought the camera you know and they bought you know a consumer grade level dslr right uh or even a consumer level the 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 new uh mirrorless kind of jobs whatever you want to use it doesn't really matter but when it's a real what i call a real camera where where you can adjust all of the parameters of uh, taking a photo, they'll put it in auto. And how do I know it's in auto? It's because that stupid little flash will pop up when they're outside taking soccer, you know, a picture of someone out on a field 45 feet away, and they got that little tiny flash popping up. Like, I want to go and say, can I help you? Because you're wasting your you're, that's that's <laughs> not what you want to say. That's mm. not what you want to go. Stop. You want to go. That mean. I, I feel you want to walk up to it and say, "You're an idiot." <laughs> Give me that thing. Oh, I used to. I used to be like, "Come on, you know what the hell?" But just go. I, just I, go I sit down and from. just go sit down and put your foam, <laughs> big blue foam, Johnny's number one hand on, and wave yes. and cheer. Go sit down. Yeah. Well, they want the pictures too, and that's the thing is, uh, I believe they they think it's easy to turn out really nice photos consistently. Uh, you know, especially in in, in that kind of uh, situation or that that environment. If 
at night, a sporting event at night outside is a, is, is a tough one to get good shots consistently. And I, I'm gonna, and what you're gonna say there, and what I'm learning now, being under your, under your flying fish wing, so to say, uh, <laughs> is this? This is because of the uh, the lack of light. Light is key, baby. Light is key, but the lack of light and the amount of light you have that they play together for the uh, what I would say to create the artistry. So you you use light as well as the lack of light to create a stunning image or, you know, it's just not as simple as, oh, I just need a lot of light to create a stunning image. You also use that lack of light. So in other words, shadow is key too to, to creating a, a, uh, I don't know, a memorable image. I keep saying these, uh, these words like, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. it's, uh, it's a. It's also a, a playing the game of reducing the light, right, right? To get the right. It's not just about light. It's also about using using that lack of light to your advantage at times. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So you're always thinking in terms of where's the, where's the light coming from. They say that the that the darkness is not the opposite of light, but rather the absence. Of light, right? Yeah, darkness and light, and and light are on this. They're the two sides of the same coin. They're the same, you know, like most opposites. Most people think that one thing is the opposite of the other, and it, that's not entirely true. They are the they work hand in hand to create each other. And that's a you know. Now we're starting to get deep. Now we're going Ooh, on a deep dive. You better here get here. We go. We're going on the hypoxic uh, trimix level with. Three, three motherfucking deco gases today, bitches. It's the absence of and the presence of these two, two aspects of our world, of our planet, of our existence that create an image, right? Yeah. And with that, we'll end the show. <laughs> go think about that, people. All right, so take that information and go take some pictures, people. We'll see you next week. <laughs> yes, you didn't know that photography could be... It could be a philosophical endeavor and a method or a, a vehicle to take you on your path through life to help you figure out what in the actual fuck are we doing. Darkness and light are not opposites, but rather one and the same. Like like you and I like are like the <laughs> darkness and the light of underwater photography. Like we're one and the same. So are are you more the light and I'm more the darkness? How how do we? Uh... I'm not a big fan of labels. You know that. You know what I'm, I don't like boxes and labels to put people and 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 themselves in because then they feel they have to stay there, uh, and that's how the mind works. So I'm like. Uh, yeah, I, sometimes I'm the light, sometimes I'm the dark. I have a little bit of both and, and everything in between. So take that and put it into your photography bin of knowledge and, and try to use it to create something. 
Now, you, you mentioned a, a moment ago, before I forget, uh, about some of the new cameras being mirrorless. Fucking mirrorless. And you, you mentioned to me, I, I remember you know, a couple weeks ago when we were playing with the camera, um, about a feature on that Canon of the mirror lockup. Yes. Mirror lockup. Yeah. It's and that, not- that's, a, that's a way to stabilize that camera a little bit better to sharpen up a photo, right? Right, and it's for mostly for like long exposure photos. You have it on the tripod because what happens very quickly when you when you press your shutter, most cameras come right like right out of the box. You press it halfway, and, and that will trigger the autofocus to try to search for what you want and focus and and try to grab that. And then you press fully, and that triggers the shutter. When the shutter goes, what actually happens is the the mirror that reflects what comes in through the lens up into the eyepiece so you can see what the lens sees. That mirror flips up extremely quickly, like instantaneously, and then the shutter opens and closes at whatever shutter speed you have it at. So that light goes through the lens and hits hits the sensor, which is the film, so to speak. If you have that mirror in the way, it never that mirror would block the light from hitting the sensor. So that's why that mirror has to flip up. When you do like a long exposure type shot, you know, you want to get that cool, I don't know, a really good long exposure one to do is at the beach or running water, you know, uh, where it, if you go yeah, to like where you uh, yeah. like like where you the river, the water's like yeah, bubbling yeah. And, and moving. And then when you take that shot, it almost looks like a... Like a satin, like silky, yeah, like a uh, weird blanket. velvety, yeah. yeah, yeah. Rather than like, yeah, like, rather than the sharpness of the water, it like smooths right. it all out and gives it that really cool effect, right? Yeah, you can get a really cool effect from that. And I like to do just like a lake, like a a lake scene is kind of cool where you have if the wind's going over it and you have those little tiny ripples. When you do a long exposure, those ripples all blend blend in together, and it looks like. It's just a flat, like cake frosting, almost right, yeah, super yeah. flat. But um, in order to do that, the exposure has to be set. You know, depending on what time of day, how much light is out there. I mean, you can do it during the day with a uh, what's called a neutral density filter, which kind of like darkens the it lessens the amount of light going into the to the lens. Um, but at night, usually folks will do it too because there's although it looks like there's no light, there's actually light out there. Um, and you can use it, but you have to keep your shutter open for like 20 seconds, 30 seconds, or even more. You can manually time it. Um, but in order to do that, you can't handhold it because your hands aren't steady enough. They, that's just the way people are, you know? Yeah, for, tw- for 20 seconds, is, that'd be yes. virtually impossible. It's not just your hands you got to steady. You have to steady your whole body then, right? And then when you click the shutter... You actually move the camera a little bit, and it's very you know the movements are micro sized, but even that shutter or that mirror flipping up will disturb the camera ever so slightly and cause blur. It's called motion blur. Right, and it takes away from the, the sharpness. 
of mm-hmm. the shot, right? Just like yeah, she, like I, the physically but, like pushing down on the right. on the shutter like moves the whole camera and the, like just the recoil effect, so to say, of yes. that camera flipping up, even as like micro of a movement it is, it's still got an effect to the overall right light and that's I, coming in and the focus of whatever you're on. Right, it it affects that light hitting the sensor, and I called it motion blur. It's not really motion blur; that's camera shake blur. Okay. Um, motion blur is the subject moving. Camera shake blur is you moving. And then you can kind of combine them like taking a picture of a race car zooming by or a runner, right? And you follow them with the camera. And you put your shutter speed slow enough that you're going to get the blur of you moving that camera fast enough so you freeze the motion of the runner or the the car, the race car, whatever you're taking a photo of that's moving. And that's where you get that, that really cool photo where the subject is very still, but the background is, is blurred, and you can make it blur in the direction of your movement. There is a, a, yeah, you know, so, a so the car looks like it's going really fast. That's Ver- because it's in reference to the blur of yeah, the Yeah, exactly. Versus yes, like, yes. like if you just had it on automatic, like the car is yeah. going to look like it's stopped in the middle of like the stopped background right. as well, most likely. So you're not going to get the, Maybe. the visual, yeah. the visualization effect of, wow, that car is speeding past. Well, if you're trying to talk about the advantages of shooting manual, here's this is a really good example. Because if I just went out there with my camera and put it in sports mode, which is for fast moving objects, right? And I go and I take a picture of that 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 race car, for example, it's going to put the shutter speed as high as it can go because it's trying to stop the action. So you, you're going to get probably everything in focus as far as it's, it doesn't have any motion blur. Now, if I wanted to make it look like the car is going fast and I put it at a slow enough shutter speed so that the car gets blurry in parts of it, like the wheels are blurred as they're spinning or the the car has a little like uh, blur of it moving so it's out of focus but the background is in focus so the car has a motion blur but the background doesn't that's one way to make it look like yeah that car is moving the method I just said where you follow you track that car and you click it but you make it fast enough to the shutter speed is fast enough to uh, freeze the car but your hand motion of tracking it it blurs the background in that direction. So that also makes the car look like it's going really fast. But it's a different, do you see one where the car is blurred and it looks like it's going fast? Yeah, yeah. And the one the, the other where the background's blurred it makes it, which is a little more artsy. When you see those pictures, you're like, wow, how'd they do that? It's kind of cool. And you can do that with people. You can do that with bikes. You can do that with almost anything that's moving, right? It just takes a little practice and uh, knowing what you're doing with those parameters of settings in the camera yeah so underwater like if you're trying to take a picture of a fish doing the same thing (laughs) is it the same effect underwater with the fish as the as the car moving do do i have that because we're because underwater i'm also trying to you know figure out a way to avoid the blur and the, the blur is what what we're learning isn't all about just the focus 
Right. The, the blur oh, has to do that. with what we just talked about that that mirror Smoke, movie, the mm-hmm. the shutter of like actually firing, and you don't you don't really see too many people underwater with a tripod for most photos, right? So no. that, like like but on land, like if you were shooting on land, you'd you'd have a tripod if you're out there at the racetrack, most likely, or you're out there at an mm-hmm. event. Like just for the, for a lot of the that's going to help with the steadiness. You see a lot of photographers use the little shutter release little remote control so they're not physically like yes. triggering the shutter and they're using that for that very reason too right just just to right. steady out and and avoid a little bit of the blur you don't get that camera shake blur right that's camera what you really shake don't want. blur that's it camera shake blur blurs the entire image blurs everything in the image okay because it's the camera that's moved um motion blur will blur the object in motion or Motion blur will blur what you want blurred if you move the camera purposely in a direction. These are all things you have to play with and and use several times. And that's where putting the camera in manual allows you to adjust the parameters. In other words, I can adjust my shutter speed. But I'm going to have to make up for my adjustment in shutter speed with something else. Because we've talked about this before, but we'll say it again. There are three... We use that triangle, right? There are three... um, Sides to the triangle. There are three (laughs) sides to the triangle, but there are three um, aspects of light that we want to... Three aspects of the photo that we want to control. Yeah, these are this right? is what this is what I'm learning. Camera. This is what mm. I'm learning from. Yeah, we got that the f stop or the aperture. Aperture size of the the opening of the hole that the lens has inside it to let the light hit the sensor. So and then there's aperture. the and then there's the the film speed or the ISO setting, right? So we got to get the that. sensitivity. The yes, sensitivity. That's the sensitivity of the sensor. You know, Digital cameras use a sensor. We used to use film. Got it. So film, kind of yeah, thing. back in the film day, it used to be called film speed, but right. now, now it's more referred to as sensitivity? Uh, it's still referred to as speed or ISO. Okay, ASA, ISO. ISO, ISO right. yeah. Uh, so the ISO used to still have the same kind of thing, but so you would go buy a, a roll of film, 400 ISO or an ASA of 400, and that would kind of cover um, a mid-range of shots being taken but you were stuck at that iso whereas digital i can change it on the fly i can actually make it automatic so you know select auto iso and it'll change the iso for you i'm not a big fan of that one i like to control my iso um the downside of iso is the higher it goes the more sensitive it gets the more grainy or noisy the picture. We used to call it grain with film. Now we call it noise, digital noise. Yeah, because that sensor's the, the it's more sensitive, so it's yeah. pick, it's picking up every bit of light that's coming in. The higher that gets, right? Right, and it and you start to see the little dots, you know, in the dark areas, yeah, especially. Yeah. You can see them in different colors as well. And then the noise. other the other part is that shutter speed, right? Like how long mm-hmm. we're letting the that the sensor react to the light. Yeah, how long we let the light hit the sensor for. So the shutter is basically what it, what it is. Like a shutter on a window closes the light out, closes the environment out. So, But it opens and, and shuts very, very quickly. Very yeah, and this is one of the issues where when you're using a little just a, a compact camera or like shooting. Like right. I used to shoot a lot of photos with that mm-hmm. GoPro of mine. 
And yeah. one of the difficult parts of that is everything's so slow when that the GoPro you don't have you can't control any of that, right? So it's just in automatic. No. So it just probably it just needs to get light, so it automatically opens up the aperture. Uh, you right. gotta say stoop super steady, or, or you're gonna get uh, especially uh, underwater. Yeah, you're gonna get blur. Well, that's because there's not much light underwater. You know, we have a uh, water is a light filter. <laughs> in other words, it it stops light from coming coming down. You know, it reduces the amount of light available period that's what water does the deeper we go we know that we start to lose you know reds oranges yellows that kind of magenta getting yeah as you go deeper and deeper all you have left is basically the that end of the spectrum which is the blues purples blacks kind of thing so you've got to add that those colors back in with artificial light you can add them back in but you you do reduce the amount of light and and that part of the spectrum as you go deeper. So now you've got to make up for it somehow. So one of those parameters has to change so that you can get a shutter speed fast enough where you won't get motion blur of your, you know, camera shake blur or motion blur of the subject, but you can still catch catch the subject, catch the image you want, right? Yeah, so, I mean, if you're chasing the whale shark... That goddamn or, whale shark. Or you're trying to follow the, chase him. Follow the yeah. manta or, or, or something yeah. like that. Like shooting off into the distance underwater is even harder yeah. to do and capture a clear shot than shooting off and something moving in the distance on land. Right. Like a like a deer running by. Or we were just out at the dive site the other day and we had that fox that run fox, by us. Yeah. You know, so it's foxy. So it's it's even that <laughs> is hard to get a clear shot as that thing's running by. But well, underwater, yeah. it would add even a new challenge. Right, especially if you have your camera in, in auto. Because you so can't, because what you would need to you. do there is you would really want to, you'd have to really speed up that shutter speed, right? You want your shutter speed fast enough so you can freeze the motion, right? But now you're like, okay, something's got to change on the other end of it. In other words, when the shutter speed goes up, as far as speed, um, that reduces the amount of light going in. So now I either have to change my my sensitivity of my sensor, my film, uh, and make that much more sensitive, or I have to open up my aperture if I have that ability, open it up uh, so I, ha- I can let more light in, or do a combination of both. But each one of those, again, it's a trade-off, has its pros and cons. We talked about sensitivity when you jack up the ISO to a higher number, it's more sensitive, yes, but it's also more grainy, more noisy. And the noise, that will work on image sharpness and quality. That, so that, all that noise makes the image very pixelated. I don't even want to call it pixelated. It's noise. So the image is not sharp and it's not clear as it could be. Yeah, it's taken away from the that details. sharpness. Yeah, it takes away the details of your shot. So. And in general... aperture, too. In general, opening up the aperture underwater to as right. low of an S-stop as you can is going to let in light. Low but, number. But that takes away a little bit of sharpness too, right? Don't wow. as, you, as you dial that F-stop back a little bit narrower, it also sharpens up. So F-stop or aperture, um, the lower the number, the larger the opening. In other words, the larger the aperture. So if you're using an F, F-stop, of 1.8. So an F1.8 is what we would say, or an F1.4. 
So that's a very low, it's a low number compared to like an F-16, a F-8, a F-11, F-22. But it's huge. The higher numbers. 1.8 is huge. It's big, yes. I, I, can Remember, hula, I can hula hoop through that thing. Well, it depends on the size of your lens because your GoPro lens uses like F1.2s and whatnot on it. It's very, very low aperture. Oh, okay. But it's a super wide lens and everything. Still, the aperture is actually a relationship between focal length and the size of the opening that is available. That's that's what aperture is. So F1.8 on, on a zoom lens versus f1.8 you know i shouldn't say zoom on a telephoto lens like a 200 millimeter 300 millimeter or even 100 millimeter is much different than an f-stop of 1.8 on a wide angle lens which you probably wouldn't are harder to find you usually get like a two something to start out anyway the long story short is that wide aperture on a wide angle lens is much different than a, a a large aperture on a telephoto lens and what that is what's different is the focal plane and a focal plane is the amount of the subject that is in focus in the direction that you're aiming the camera at like so a focal plane of a of a face right you got your nose as you're looking at the camera you got your nose first then your eyeballs and your ears right so say that that's a focal plane, that distance between the tip of your nose and the back of your head. Or like uh, the, the goal line to goal line if you're shooting right. down, uh, down a sports field, right? Right, exactly. So that's a lar- large focal plane. But with a very high, a very large aperture, or which is a low number, you have a, a small focal plane, okay? Sometimes, like if I use a, telephoto lens to take a portrait like a 100 or 200 millimeter lens and I put it at a 2.8 if I don't focus on the subject's pupil their eyeball if I don't purposely get that and I don't catch it I focus say I I accidentally just focus on their face and I catch their nose on focus their eyeballs out of focus completely their ears just blurred their nose is perfect. That nose, that nose hair that they haven't trimmed <laughs> exactly. is like just you right can there. See it. Yes. So that's what aperture does: is it reduces that focal plane. Now, if I open up my focal, my my um, aperture to, I should say, open it up. I shut down my aperture to say like an f eight or f eleven or f sixteen. I start to close down the amount of light in there. I also increase my focal plane so now i can get your nose in focus your eyeball in focus your ear in focus i may even get stuff behind you and stuff in front of you in focus those are all characteristics of different you know different lenses but on a wide angle lens like what we shoot underwater you can use the you know like the lowest i got is a 3.5 i usually shoot it like a four and that on a wide angle lens will give a pretty deep focal plane i'm usually pretty good with it like 10 feet you know 10 feet will be in focus underwater yeah like if you're down in the caribbean on a on a reef where Mm -hmm. you're trying to take a picture of the seahorse on a sea fan they're you know the macro right well that's what i'm saying is that focal plane you know just with the busyness of the background starts to having a a bit of an effect so being able to use the camera to shut some of that down yeah becomes a becomes a tool of like 
you know, kind of balancing balancing out that the sharpness of the photo with mm-hmm. creating something artistic. Well, yeah, absolutely. It all depends on what you want to do. Do you want to get that little sea, tiny little seahorse to take up most of your image size? Is that what you want, or do you want well, to I'm show how so like a the actual like a, size like a and relative? Like you know, a seahorse that's you know five six inches right big you still know? Yeah. on a wide angle lens. A five or six inch object is is you got to get you get close up to it. It'll, you can make it take up most of your lens, your image. But you're still going to have a bunch of background there, right? Exactly. Well, that, so there's where I'm going. Like if, um, mm-hmm. so if all of that, like the busyness of the reef, is still in focus because of that, yeah, the the, the poor focal plane. You almost, although that seahorse is still right there in the photo, mm-hmm. you're losing. You're the distracted. Effect. Yeah, you're yeah, distracted, you're distracted by, the by the background. So that's where so being able to play. Do? So that why yeah. being able to play with the but you Focal run into a plane. problem. But you run into a problem. Because, like I say, wide angle, if you're using a wide angle lens to take that shot, your focal plane's gonna be pretty big. Even at its lowest aperture, which is, you know, when I say lowest, I mean number wise, but size wise, it's, it's, it's the largest. And that's what you pay for. When you buy a lens, they, they're called fast lenses. That's what they say when, oh, I got a really fast lens. doesn't mean the shutter speed necessarily. It's, it, what it means is I can, I can open my aperture up to like a 2.8 on a 200 millimeter focal uh, length or is a fast lens. 2.8 is a pretty fast lens, period, on any lens. But you won't see it on a wide angle too often. Which brings me to another question, uh, what I'm learning with you on these very deep dive discussions we're having on our drives yes. to and from the dive site lately is there's also a big difference that the quality of the glass starts to make oh, in the in the yeah. lens itself right so there's yeah. a difference not just the the 500 800,000 dollars between a you know 150 200 dollar <laughs> lens and a 1500 dollar right. lens it, it's there's quality to that glass that makes a difference in your shot well, it's just like dive gear, you know. It's um, you got to know what you're buying. You got to know what you're getting into. Can you get an inexpensive good lens? It is possible. The chances are probably not very good. You're going to get an okay lens, you know, for a few hundred dollars. Um, and where you notice it is when you're when you're editing. When you want to blow that picture up to, uh, you know, whatever you want to hang it on the wall. You'll notice it, and the more you work with pictures, photos, images, you'll notice what good glass does and what bad glass does, what what mediocre glass does, uh, and the sharpness and the crispness in the pixels uh, where the where the subject and the background are separated. You'll see the it's called aberration, and you'll you'll notice that um, where the pixels don't know what color really to go to, so. As you get, they have a, they take on a little purple or purple type hue. That's a chromatic aberration. Things like that that are part of uh, cheap glass. You're going to find that now to the average consumer eye, probably like that person taking photos of the soccer game with her little flip up flash bulb going off. She doesn't know, or he doesn't. I keep saying she because I see a lot of moms doing it, and no, definitely I'm not. 
criticizing women. Brando so. at the Great Dive Podcast <laughs> dot com. That's where you can send your. Words. That's where you can send your hate mail. Uh, yeah. Put it. Uh, no, I, uh, uh, in stop, the uh, in the subject box to title that you son of a bitch, you pig. Just call him a pig. I'm not really. Uh, no, but that person doesn't really care. I'm sure. You know, it's like my wife doesn't care that these images are super crisp but i you know she probably cares that i have a three thousand dollar lens that i'm using right she when, when she that. takes it when she takes it she's like hey look it it's mikey with the soccer ball <laughs> exactly she doesn't like look yeah but it's got fucking chromatic aberrations <laughs> what'd you call me <laughs> now is this is this let me ask you another question for the for the people out there, is this something that people just live with and then try to fix in post, like in Photoshop or Lightroom or stuff? Is 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 that what most people do in that case, um, or I, is I it a, or, or is it something that I would look at doing, or the the smarter yeah. choice would be to get the right tool for the job? It depends on how how much time you got. It depends on what you want to do. Um, it depends on if you're if you're going to sell your images or you want to, them to go in a uh, magazine or you're in a contest, all those kind of things. You know, it, it just depends on your idiosyncrasies as well as, you know, my, my ADD slash I can't let this shit go. I have to keep going till I have it perfect. You know, I've been doing this. How long have I been doing photography? Since I was in high school, I've been into photography, right? Since I really in junior high um, with film and whatnot. But you're just, I continually go, I'm going for the perfect image, right? I haven't, I still look at my photos and go, they're shit. This is all shit. Just throw it away. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but, uh, you're, it's just that constant striving for perfection. You is this why you can't take so many pictures of me lately? I'm going for perfection, man. I want to get, be able to leave you before I, I exit this planet, because I'm sure I'm leaving before you. I want to leave you with one image from of yourself from me that is absolute perfection. You're there like you go. I cannot find I cannot find an, a, a fault with any part of this image. But then you go back, to, you know, that old old Zen little little story or saying is you know with the the they're walking through the cherry blossom trees and basically the the idea or the gist of the whole exchange between the two people is there is no imperfect cherry blossom in other words they're all perfect so eh, you can look at your images like that too and say they're all perfect i created them that's uh it's what they are they are what they are and they captured it and i used the tools i had at my, at my disposal and i did it to the best of my ability so that's for the new photographers too Although if you're psychotic, a psychopath like myself, <laughs> and just can't let it go. <laughs> I don't know if psychotic's the right word, but uh, OCD, that's it. Right, right. So this is, an inner, this is an inner dialogue I have quite often while I'm diving. Oh, man. It's, it's uh, you know, the, the underwater photography, I mean, it, it's definitely something that if you really get into it, and by really get into it, like I'm realizing like how how endless of a, of a world I just entered, you know, it's, oh, it's different than just grabbing a sea life and, you know, the little <laughs> co compact strobing. Yes. Yeah. You're going to be able to take good pictures, but you really lose out on 
all this driving yourself absolutely insane over a photo that you get with this nice Canon that you just got me into. Exactly. Right? But at the end of the day, you know, so we could sit here and I know, I know you love always talking about photography stuff. And I know we I get do. a lot of listeners that like us to get back into it. Uh, there's so much, you know, technicality to all these little, little nuances in, in photography, you know, you know, in order for getting a clearer image. But we also, at the same time, we come to so just some basic dive habits, too, of, you know, having the ability to control your buoyancy in a way that you can keep your camera still without needing to grab on to the chunk of coral in order to steady yourself out, right? I mean, that's a whole other aspect to underwater photography that land photography doesn't even really face other than, you know, walking through the, the trail and, you know, not stepping right on top of, you know, the, the beautiful roses that are growing to, to take your picture of the statue that, that's near it or whatever the case. Oh, yeah, brother. I mean, this is the, the whole thing is it combines two of my passions, two of the, the activities that I really love doing. And it allows you to create while you're diving. Uh, not that you're not really creating while you're diving. You kind of are. You're creating the perfect dive. But taking the two passions I have and trying to marry them together has has been extremely rewarding in many respects. And it and it it gives me purpose to keep diving and keep uh, even in my little mud holes, taking my camera with me, even in the quarries, even in the Great Lakes, which you know is some great great photography as well. But is it is it the colorful reef with all the beautiful fish? No, it's not. But you know, we've got the shipwrecks. We've got the 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 scene of the divers on the shipwreck. You got the descents, the ascents, everything in between. Yeah, that coupling the diving with the photography takes it to a whole nother level. You have it takes your diving to a whole nother level. It takes the photography to a whole nother level. So, in order to take good photos. And be respectful of the environment and your other divers in the water. You need to be a good diver while you're taking photos. Can you hear that? They're, they're, the landscapers are working. So, Hey, are you going diving this weekend? Keep your mask clear with the one, the only, PFAR. The professional's choice. 100% all natural. Reliable clarity. PFAR. Refill daily. Keep your mask clear. Never fear. Default with default. I mean, one of the big key aspects with diving and, and photography, and we've talked about this many times, we've even had the story of the photographer who, who offed himself. It takes your focus and narrows it to that camera and your subject. So you have to learn <laughs> to dive as a team and take moments of zooming your focus into that camera and that subject. And your your partner has to be aware of that. That's all there is to it. I mean, and, or you're going to run into issues, a lot of them. Yeah, no kidding. And yeah. even so much as, you know, focusing on doing all these things that we've been talking about of, getting that aperture opened up to let light in, but then dialing it back to sharpen up and, and adjusting the ISO 
fixing, you know, getting the shutter speed to go a little bit quicker to, to sharpen up that picture or whatever. And then there's, there's still the whole thing of being underwater and stirring up all the sand, stirring up all the silt yeah. that's now getting in the way. You know, and, and while you're sitting there stressed that that camera just keeps getting blurrier and blurrier and blurrier <laughs> on the back and you're not realizing it's because your feet are down below you, you're wiggling your feet and it's just stirring up a huge cloud you're destroying the environment you're destroying the image you're destroying the environment and if there's any other photographers with you good luck of them getting any shots right right it's kind of tough i mean uh, which is why like you wonder wonder why hey how'd that o-ring get out of my camera housing uh, (laughs) for 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 dive two what happened (laughs) exactly He's like, uh, this guy is not going back down there. Not with his camera. Nope. Nope. Uh, right, right. Um, and and I, I would say, like, another thing about, you know, getting enough light into that camera and getting a better shot is the the issue of getting close to the subject, too, right? Which can be a detriment to the photo as well if you don't have that control that we talk about on so many shows about so many things of diving of buoyancy control and propulsion and the ability to move forward and turn and change your center of gravity and back up and get your breathing set so you can get in get close without disturbing and crashing into the sea fan and ruining the shot for yourself and everybody else and needing to crash a hand into the bottom or a a steady stick into the bottom that's going to even that's still going to stir up the environment having that ability is a huge part of really being able to take a good underwater photo big time big time as a matter of fact i i consider it you know a critical necessary component i i mean that's what all i would say is if you want to be an underwater photographer the most one of the most critical necessary components you need to have is the ability to position yourself wherever you need to be however you need to be without using your hands and without disturbing the environment yeah without using your hands specifically Period. holding on to the bottom without, right. uh, without or, having or doing to... that wavy that little waving thing where you you go and push the water in front of you at your subject and it either it is destroyed like you you know, killed the sea fan or whatever you're taking a photo. Right, of. and you you wonder why the fish never stay where they're supposed right. to. For you. <laughs> why does the, you're waving at them? Why yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. But um, like water, we already know is 800 times denser than air. So you're you're mm-hmm. already struggling with getting the light into the camera. Let alone if that water's full of sand shit. and silt yes. and just shit in the water that it keeps getting. Mm-hmm stirred up from all of your motion and activity oh yeah there, there's like i say there's there's a lot of things working against you taking that photo underwater because light is so affected in the by the environment and um and the subjects you're you're going to take photos of are delicate usually or they're alive and they don't want any fast quick movements you know they don't want to they won't stay there if you are jerking your hands around and whatnot, right? Right, yeah. And then on top of that, if you've stirred up a bunch of sand and sediment and silt and whatnot in front of that lens, well, you get this haze that so nothing's ever going to even be able to focus anyways. Right? The camera is going to struggle right. to find something to actually focus on. 
Right. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's got to read. It's got to read contrast. You know, <laughs> that's how it, it catches focus. Is the is the contrast in the when you're little that little diode, that little light or whatever, little square inside of your eyepiece that you're putting on your subject. That's like you know when you are um, shooting a gun, uh, and you've got a laser sight and a laser sight on it, and you put that laser on something. That's that's your little little square inside of your eyepiece, and you're putting that on the subject. If you if you put it on a subject, and it's all one color, or the contrast is very low, like you've stirred it all up, it can't focus. It's going to have a hard time. Or if you've got sediment in front of your lens drifting around because you stirred it all up. Yeah, there's so much that. There's so much of it moving that yes. it, it's just it's going crazy looking for some, which one of those billions of particles do I actually focus on in this area. Oh, it'll catch it'll catch those particles so you'll have the particles in nice focus and your subject's <laughs> gone. Now the particles are usually so small that if you haven't stirred it up, you'll get the subject and the particles will not be in focus, you won't even see them. Okay, because that's the how a focal plane works on a lens. That's how a camera lens works. It's a difference between the human eye and the and a even a hundred thousand dollar camera lens. They can't touch the human eye as far as how we can put everything in focus. We can see the particles, and we can also see through them if we want to. We can actually focus on that thing far away and make them go away. Yeah, like uh, the lens in in that respect is really a a human eye that we can actually trick and right. play with. It's right? a crappy human eye. It's a crappy human eye, really. When you when you think about it, like I say, even the best lens isn't doesn't even touch the human eye as far as its abilities and its dynamic range of uh, picking picking up light. All stuff I think is really nice to understand when you when you're taking on the. Uh, fine art of underwater photography understand how the human eye works understand how a lens works understand what light does how it's broken down what it does underwater um that all helps all helps you get that image you're looking for now i mean there are people and i i mean james you love doing this you love taking images i think you're more about the composition and the art and the view which you you do with this as well, but now you take it up a whole new level because now you really control the light going in, which with that GoPro, you couldn't. It's all set. It's it's all done automatically. For right. You. It tells you what it wants. GoPro is telling you this is what you want, whereas my camera, I tell it this is what I want. Well, yeah, exactly. So God so when you look at something like uh, going down to like our little local training quarry. It's easy to take a photo with that GoPro in ten feet of water on a nice mm-hmm. on a nice sunny day, but take it to eighty or a hundred feet of water. Forget about it. Forget about it. You're not you're not going to get anything. You're not going to have tough. It's going to be tough to get a shot that you can do anything with. A quality shot, right? A high quality shot. It's going to be hard to have anything in focus. Number one. Um, and, and I mean, yeah, you could shoot in video and then just try to like pull a still from the video and then use post-production to sharpen it up. But to get a shot 
like right out of the camera is going to be virtually impossible unless you're trying to go for like a really tripped out, uh, low focused, you know, abstract type of a photo. Yeah. A background shot that you use for your website kind of thing. Um, There you go. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Again, like I say, when you learn to wield your camera like, you know, like a samurai wields a sword, you're you're an artist, you're. You're a master of it. Now you can make it do tricks for you. Now you can you can pull out the image like you might have figured in your mind an abstract image uh, that it would be impossible to shoot on automatic. So that's that's one of the benefits of having a camera the, that allows you to tell it what to do versus the other way around. I don't like people or cameras telling me what to do. I have a problem. I have a problem with authority. <laughs> I've learned this. Now, so now you say that, but you always tell me mm-hmm. I must shoot in raw. Now, is, well, is raw like so? It, 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 is that must, like the, so? If there's like a last thing that we talk about in this. Improving, improving the sharpness of our photo, it, is is that is that one of the last variables that we look at? Of why am I shooting in raw versus shooting in my standard posted on Facebook JPEGs? Or, yeah. yeah. Um, the reason to shoot in raw is it gives us more latitude for editing, um, and as far as like white balance and and whatnot, where you can't really change white balance on a JPEG. You can on a raw. Raw, if you look at raw as the film's negative, it's like a negative. As a matter of fact, uh, like in uh, Adobe Photoshop, their their file extension for a raw is DNG, which stands for digital negative graphic i believe still the g but the first two are digital negative so it's the same you know think of it as a the negative on a film camera whereas when you you let that be developed when you go to develop that if you've ever developed film you can do a lot in the actually everything you do in photoshop you can do in the dark room right which is which is how back in the olden days you know Mm -hmm. the Back pre nineteen nineties, that, with that's... wagons and covered wagons and horses, <laughs> and uh, Fred Flintstone and the dinosaur. Yes. yes, which reminds me, we should go out and get some. Uh, we should go get some brontosaurus burgers after this. Nice, yes. But back in those days, uh, that's where like all the the wild, trippy, weird, mm-hmm. you know, effects of photos was was done it was it was yeah. in the dark room manipulating that negative right but exactly. a, but a jpeg is like a ready for production it's like automatically developed negative so like there you, send you go it to that yeah. little Kodak well kiosk you know in the parking lot with robin williams working in it you know do you ever see that movie oh man the kids today that are listening they're like what the <laughs> hell what are these what are these two boomers psychopath. what are these boomers <laughs> talking about i am not a boomer you're a boomer no, you're not a boomer either. I'm a no. boomer. No, I actually I'm not a boomer. I'm one year off from a boomer. My wife is a boomer. I married up. I married old. <laughs> I, I prefer mature ladies. Um, but 
Yeah, that, so if you can think of a raw file like that, so shooting in raw allows you a little more leeway uh, during your post-processing to change, to change like the white balance, which is big underwater. You know, we shoot in these quarries. I pull them out of my, my camera. They're, a lot of times they're just so green. They're like pea soup green, and I'm going, I do, that does nothing for me. That's right. It's not my thing. Some people may dig it. The you know it looks. They want the authentic look of what it was like there, and I'm. I don't want pea, anything pea soup green uh, around me. And I, I don't know if it really looked that bad, but sometimes it's accentuated one way or the other when you take the photo, depending on the amount of light you have. Well, yeah, I, I think there's. Again, that's I think also part of the the journey of learning this camera. There are times where I've taken photos where w- what I'm seeing with my eye is not yeah. as green as what the camera's capturing. Right. Right. So th- there's that. Like, I- I'm seeing the blue in the picture, but I've like the camera isn't. And it's my yes. fault, I know. I, so that's me trying to fix that. Yeah. But that, that's one of the beauties of the raw is in that post-production, I could just go right in and change that white balance to take care of that. White balance, yeah, is the, big, is the biggest reason for shooting raw. Again, it gives you just more leeway to to adjust it. It's a better, it's a better quality image. Uh, it's going to be a larger image, data wise, right? Data wise than a JPEG. But uh, so you go in and you open it up as a raw image, and then you do your do your changes, your edits. You, you put it to the white balance you want it at. You, you look at your little histogram, which is giving you a, a graphic representation of the amount of uh, light on the image, you know, where, where things might be overexposed, underexposed, how much reds, blues, greens, et cetera, you have going in shadows and midtones and highlights and whatnot. So you go in there and you adjust it to where you want it, what, where the image is what you had in mind or close to what you had in mind. And uh, then you go ahead and you can you can sharpen it up a little bit. You know, software like Lightroom. There are other software to, to use. I like Lightroom. I've been using it for a long time, and it's uh, it's pretty powerful and, and a simple interface and easy to use. So that's why I use it. It's very well supported. Now, um, you think a lot of new underwater photographers just get intimidated by by shooting in raw? Yeah. Is is that they, the big thing that's keeping might. them away from it? Yeah, I, I'm thinking. I, I have no idea. I mean, when I learned about RAW, when I was first getting into digital, I went to it immediately. You know, just I go when I want to learn things. I go to pros. I go to people that are doing it professionally, that are writing the books, that are that I can see their work and go, this guy or gal knows what they're doing. I need to tap that that brain right there and um, listen to what they say and and. I think without exception, they all say pro shoot raw. Pros shoot raw, period. Right, because after the shutter's been shot and Mm -hmm. and you're back home going through the photos to see what you're going to keep and what you're going to throw away, having shot in raw, you could have a photo that could be tweaked and become perfect with a little post production yeah, in, in Lightroom, right, versus you, you kind of get stuck sometimes in, in if it's already in JPEG, that you don't have the freedom. Yes. 
No, you can change tint, which is not the same as white balance. And you'll notice that it, tint is very restrictive. Um, white balance is completely, there is white balance. It, you're telling this photo what is white, black, and gray, and, and a, a certain shade of gray. So that's what you're doing when you, when you adjust white balance. And you're not doing that when you do tints or hues. You, you are changing, like putting a little filter over the top of it, which is completely different. Whereas in raw, you, you're, in effect, you're changing what the negative originally was taken as. Yeah, too, sir. I mean, you, you, when you're shooting in raw and you're using Lightroom, it's called a non-destructive editing. You're not really changing that that raw file so you can do all your edits on that file and that file isn't touched you export it as a jpeg or a tiff or another file format that you want to have it printed or put on the internet as or whatever um, you export it in that but your raw file stays your raw file and it it had nothing done to it when you when you're done you're like okay i can always go back to that if i don't like those changes i can go back to it and do different changes. Right, but I mean, uh, in, in essence, I guess what I'm saying is mm-hmm. what you publish yeah. l- looks like a like it came from a completely different original negative versus, yeah. versus shooting in JPEG and then throwing an Instagram filter mm-hmm. on top. You can right. tell it's an Instagram filter. Exactly. Versus exactly. Th- that's the that advantage of having raw capability in the camera yes exactly it's a lot it's actually changing uh yeah the developed image not like a filter more like changing those characteristics or those digits in the digital file you know what i mean yeah yeah i'm getting i'm I'm, I'm getting it i'm digging it i'm digging it cool cool yeah this is uh I mean, this is, these are just the basics of getting into underwater photography. I don't know if RAW gives you a sharper image, a more clear, focused, sharper image. I don't know if it does that so much as it just gives you leeway to change things like white balance. Um, and I'm sure it works on other things, too. I know white balance is the biggest thing. It's the biggest, most useful part of shooting in RAW. And underwater, white balance is huge. Right. And because back in the old days, like you would physically have to take a big old white slate underwater with you. And when you Mm -hmm. got to 80 feet, your your first photo needed to be specifically of that white board to reset the camera for everything you were about to take from that point on. Exactly. Exactly. And you can still do that. I mean, it's still a good idea to take a white, white balance slate little little piece and just put it up in front of your camera and take a picture so when you go back and you download your camera into your computer and you're looking at your pictures you you pull them up in lightroom and the first thing you do is uh, you take your little white balance eyedropper when you pull up that picture of that slate and you hit it you click on that slate and it it's telling the settings now this is gray and now all of your you know where to set your white balance for the rest of the photos to get accurate white balance now it may not be the white balance you like like for your photo but it's accurate white balance right 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 yeah fun stuff man um well i think this is gonna please a lot of the 
photography fans out there, the, uh, the, the divers that are newly getting into underwater photography that have been asking us to get back to some underwater photo info, uh, because it is a challenge, you know, um, there's, there's a big difference between just, you know, grabbing a, grabbing a digital camera nowadays, throwing in an SD card, rattling off 200 photos on a dive, and then going through them, and, you know, you can either have two keepers that are good in 198 that you delete, or you just torture people with making them look at all <laughs> 200 of your mediocre, crappy didn't, photos. Didn't we versus, see that once? Versus nowadays, you know, as, as uh, you know, we start to get you know more comfortable with that M setting um, to be able to make some magic underwater. It's good, fun stuff. I'm digging it, you know. And uh, it's one thing to get good with that camera on land because it's valuable as an underwater photographer to be a good photographer. But right. the, that underwater environment, you know, being that that water's absorbing so much more light, it definitely adds in that whole new dynamic that, again, takes a lot more work and a lot more practice, which gives us a, another lifetime of something to do underwater. Yeah, for those that have, you know, become bored with, so they've mastered diving and they've become bored with it, Go take some photos. Take some videos. Well, video is a little more forgiving, I think. Not as much to think about. Keep you. It'll keep you actively seeking to do better for a long time. Well, hey, I hope you guys enjoyed that little dive into underwater photography and getting some better, sharper, crisper, better-looking photos. I sure did. I'm going to take these tips out this weekend and shoot the hell out of I'm going to shoot the hell out of that underwater world. (laughs) Shoot them up, baby. All right. So should we uh, sign some logbooks on on this one, Brando? Sure. Let's sign away. Is, uh, whoa, is is your mirror locked up or are you uh, (laughs) just, uh, (laughs) was it a good dive? (laughs) Is, uh. (laughs) <laughs> Do you have a 200-millimeter uh, zoom lens in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> As, <laughs> that hey, doesn't sound right they, coming from us to each other. <laughs> Keep that shutter snapping. Nice lens. Keep on snapping, Jamesy. Get raw, brother. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs> Safe dive, folks. Blue, blue, blue.